Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's Reality Bites. Every week on the Believe Podcast Network, I sit down and talk about what most men are forced to watch by a loved one multiple times a week in this great United States of America, reality television. Most men pretend not to like it or admit that they watch it, but I, Rob Evers, your sports-loving, liquor-chugging, girl-chasing host, just happens to be obsessed with reality TV. Guys, I don't know what part of the country you live in or if you've looked outside your window lately, but... Shit's still going down in the United States right now, and um, I haven't been able to get a guest, and I don't know when I will be able to get a guest, so I hope you enjoyed the last podcast because you're stuck with me yet again. Just me, in my sweatpants, drinking some booze, talking to you, but really staring at a wall. It's about to rain out in Los Angeles, which never happens, so this makes it a little bit more... um, acceptable for me to be sitting down and uh and having some wine and talking to you guys about reality television i even put on some sweatpants and some thick thick socks so uh every part of me is comfortable right now but um yeah what do you guys want to talk about i thought it would be fun if maybe we started off with doing like a little recap of the last couple episodes of bachelor on the top of every episode so Every week, hopefully I'll be getting this podcast out every week, but it's probably most likely going to be every two weeks. So I thought it'd be fun that at the beginning of every podcast episode, we do a Bachelor recap. And I just spew all my opinions about the last one or two episodes. We get it out of the system and we get this ball rolling on talking shit about reality TV or love or love. There's also love. That I have for reality TV. A lot of love, actually. Mostly shit, but a lot of love. All right. So, where did we leave off on The Bachelor? Okay. Sarah faints, and Sarah starts to become the antagonist of the show. Where the fuck did this come from? I have no idea. She was doing great. She had our hearts in the palm of her hand. She had the whole thing with the dad and the MLS, which is very sad. She's a caregiver. She left her beautiful job. These guys were hitting it off. She smeared makeup all over her, all over her, uh, Matt's face. And it seemed like he was I mean, she was the front runner, and she was probably going to be a front runner for a while. And then she starts having a mental breakdown. Now, I will say that I called it. I I told you he gave her way too much in the beginning. He gave her way too much adoration. He gave her way too much um, promise. He he did like say there's thirty episodes. I don't know how many episodes there are. Maybe maybe 15 episodes. So say 15 episodes. He's given her like episode 12 love uh, on episode 3 and date number 1. So of course this girl's going to start thinking things in her head right away. But this girl we don't know has major trust issues which I would. I would have a hard time on this show. I could never be on this show. I've said that before. My jealousy would go through the roof. Um, But she starts freaking out to the point where she's fainting during the rose ceremony. And then after that, it all just kind of steamrolls, right? I mean, she's standing, you know, she's standing there. She, she faints. People are kind of already like, 
all right, what's going on here? She's just trying to get attention. Then all of a sudden, Sarah's the girl that, you know, he's outside with. There's always that one girl in every episode or every season that like something happens and he goes off into the side with her and like has to take care of her, whether it's, you know, bumper cars or somebody falls off a horse or somebody gets hit extra hard boxing, which I guess they do now on this show. Speaking of boxing, are we not going to address the fact that Victoria had a black eye for like three episodes, four episodes? I mean, did, did I miss it? Did I, did I miss when Victoria busted her eye? Was it during a, a group date or something? Did one of the girls finally just haul off and punch her and they just didn't want to show it? I'm guessing that's what happened. I'm guessing one of those girls in that house had a little bit too much tequila and Victoria was talking shit. And one of the girls, maybe the girl that got sent home, but one of the girls hauled off and punched her. That's what I think happened. But I don't know. So I'm just going to um, assume that that's what happened. I, you know, just as a side note, because I'm, we're reviewing here, I always love how um, whenever like, <laughs> whenever there's like a, an ex-bachelor or bachelorette contestant that comes back to help Chris Harrison with something, they all act like it's fucking Brad Pitt walking in the room or, you know, Lady Diana or somebody, somebody that actually matters and that they're, <laughs> they're so starstruck by these people. Like, I get Chris Harrison, right? He's a staple for the entire show. But when Ashley, I walks in, who the fuck cares? And she's actually has like, hi guys. Yeah, it's me. It's Ashley. I, I mean, no big deal. No, uh, seriously. No, no big deal. You're not a big deal. There's no big deal about you at all. Nothing big deal. None. But these people act like there is, maybe it's because it's like, this is their, what they strive to be from now on. They strive to have this personality that people feel like they know them, but they don't. And then, they just go off and do Instagram forever. I don't know. Anyway, um, and Chris Harrison has a book. Chris Harris, is this true? I don't know if it was true or not. I couldn't figure out if it was true or not that Chris Harrison wrote a romance novel or if it was just tongue in cheek. I'm hoping it was tongue in cheek because um, they probably would have, you know, they would have promoted it a lot more. It was tongue in cheek. Now that I'm having, now that I'm thinking about it, it was probably a joke. All right. Thank God. Um, what else happens? Uh, Sarah is a siren. Apparently, she just her her call just brings Matt into the rocks. He can't help it. Every time that he you know he's going on a one on one with somebody else, and then he goes off with Sarah to make sure she's okay before she comes back. That's like that's like if a girl was going on a date with me, but she had to go over to a dude's house first to make sure that he was okay and that he was fed and everything was good, and, you know, or, you know, they have a glass of wine or whatever before she comes on my date. It's like, well, fuck you then. I know, I know this is a thing, but, like, there's some sort of couth that you have to have throughout this process. That ain't it. Um, yeah. And then these girls come. Then these girls come. I mean, I know Sarah leaves beforehand, but then they bring in these other girls. Like, I'm starting to think that this is the new um, thing with The Bachelor. Like, this is the the, the, the twist and the turn that The Bachelor is going to have now. I feel like they've, you know, had 22 years of stuff. And this now they need to start bringing in new girls ever, or, like, make you think that everybody's fine. They did this with uh, Tasha's season, too, right? They They had new people come in out of nowhere everybody was pissed you know now it's old versus new and these young all these mean girls are coming out like all these mean the stuff that they're doing is mean i mean you're on national tv you have to remember that these cameras you're making yourself look bad you're trying to make somebody else look bad but you're making yourself look bad and 
it's getting a little catty and a little um, just rude. So, and then the producers love it. So they keep these girls around because, I mean, you can't have kumbaya all the time, but at least back in the day, it was organic and not like these girls just coming at one another all the time. I knew you had like Michelle and everything, but at least Matt was involved. It was, or uh, the bachelor at the time was involved. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't girls calling out girls for being escorts. I mean, maybe it was, but I'm just, it just, maybe I'm getting older and it, it just seems just straight up mean and people crying all the time. I don't know. Thank God for Katie. Katie seems to be the only person with a head on her shoulders and seems to be the only one who stands up to the mean girl and and says, somebody's not here. Why are you talking shit about them? And then it goes and tells Matt that these old girls are being mean to these new girls. And she's not ratting on anybody. She's just saying, look, this is fucked up and it's going to fuck up people's lives. So either you step in and do something or shit's about to go down and you're not going to look good at the end. Also... (laughs) I love, I love how when Matt is being interviewed, he's doing the whole um, uh, interview thing where you know he's talking to the camera and he looks at the camera and he's like, "There's a hundred percent chance of hostility and drama right now." <laughs> it's so true. I mean, if I was him standing out when those limousines showed up with the five or six or whatever it is extra girls, I would have been like, "The fuck you doing to me, Chris Harrison?" I thought we were friends. And now you're putting me in this situation. You know, this is this is not a good situation for me to be in. I can't tell them to go home, and then I can't. If I t- when I obviously they're going to stay. I, a, it's 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 a lose lose situation. It's a lose lose situation. <sighs> okay, Bachelor done. Can't wait to see what happens next week. All righty, now, now, what do you guys want to talk about now? I was thinking we could talk about a specific genre. There's so many different types of genres in the reality world, right? There's like your soapy ones where you have a group of friends that are always fighting or they're family members, but they love each other, but they don't. And they're always fighting and there's always something there. Something's always happening. Somebody's always cheating or somebody's always, you know, not doing their part for the business or whatever it is, but there's always an argument. Then you have like your competition shows, right? Which are like, you know, your survivors and your big brothers and your amazing races and, you know, my favorite CBS shows. I'm sure there's other competition shows outside of CBS, but I just love those shows. Um, The challenge is one that people are loving right now. Apparently I don't understand it. Um, Like I said, I have my past with those people um, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a little PTSD from from dealing with all the real world road rules people my entire life, which some of them are still really good friends. And those are not the ones I'm talking about. But, you know, it, when I turn on the TV and I see CJ and Wes on on there still been Johnny Bananas and all those guys still doing their shit. And they're like my age. It makes me think, how old, how the fuck old am I? And they've been doing this all the time because they have no other outlet. They have nothing else to do. Uh, but now I guess they're bringing on like other reality show people. So that's a little interesting, I guess. Um, you have your dating reality shows, uh, you know, kind of like the bachelor. And then like, uh, I guess you can call catfish one, you know, you have your documentary type style ones, which I guess, I guess that would be one is catfish, which I love. And I can do a whole episode on the catfish, but then you could also have 
your cooking shows, your reality cooking shows. And that's what I thought we would talk about on this episode. Now that we're 12 minutes into the episode and I'm on glass number three of my vino, I thought maybe we talk about cooking shows. I don't know about you guys, but I fucking love uh, my reality cooking shows. Not because I can do it. I can't. I can't cook worth shit. I mean, I do. I don't do it well. I play the guitar. I don't do it well. I draw definitely not well. I have the physical ability to cook. I cook myself dinner every night. Quinoa, chicken. I do all that, you know, good healthy stuff. Every night I cook myself dinner. Does some of it end up on the floor? Okay. That's fair to say. That's fair to say. Does some of it end up burnt? Most likely, you know. Uh, I asked my sister the other day. My, my sister makes an amazing vegetable soup, and she gave me the recipe, and she gave me a whole an, an instructional video to make this amazing vegetable soup that I just love. And uh, she actually had to make me a fucking video, like a how-to video, step-by-step, step, because that's how my brain works. And uh, I made it, and it tasted awesome. And I sent a picture of it to my best friend, Bo, and uh, Bo, who is a cook in his own right, he has his own little Instagram channel where he he makes things. I don't know if you guys have heard of it or not. It's great. He's he's good. He's you know when Bo puts his mind to something, especially cooking, he's good at it, right? So I I feel like I'm the same way. When I put my mind to something, I'm good at it. So I make this soup, and it's fucking delicious, and I'm very proud of myself. So I send a picture of it to Bo, and Bo's like, "What is that?" And I'm like, "It's vegetable soup, and it's fucking delicious." And he's like, "You made it?" And I said, "Yeah, dude. It's I, I mean, I, I did all the stuff." And he's like, "You did all the stuff?" I'm like, "Yeah, I did all the stuff to make vegetable soup." He's like, "So you cut up and boiled the vegetables?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess, I guess that's basically." technically what I did. I, I cut up and I boiled vegetables. And now I'm like, well, shit. It took me like 30 minutes to do this. It took me a while. Dicing's not easy. I don't know how many shallots you're supposed to put in something. Garlic? Don't even get me started on dicing garlic. But I did it. Anyway, it was good. And I have an appreciation for people that can do cooking well. It's an art. It's an art. So when it's on TV, I want to watch people do it. I don't know what it is. I don't know when food became like something that people want to watch, you know, but there it is. There are so many different kinds of cooking reality shows. You, I mean, I think it all started in the sixties with, um, sorry, it's my microphone. It started in the 60s with the French chef, Julia Child, right? I think it all started in the 60s, uh, early 60s with Julia Child teaching normal people at home on the TV how to make fancy things. It was called, her show was called The French Chef. I think it was on from, um, let me see here, uh, 1963 to 1973. Ten years. And you got to remember, there was only like four channels back in the day, right? So she would go on there and she would, she was make, uh, she was presented herself as just a normal American woman who was taking this culinary knowledge that she had and sharing it with the, the everyday person 
And then that person could make what she was making. And that just blew it up. Because then you get to physically have that thing that was on TV in your house on your table. And you can say, I did this. There's not many genres that can say that. You know, there's not many genres of, you know, there's not a show out there of somebody, you know, there was Bob Ross who did, uh, you know, painting, but very few people were really, you know, painting little trees. There's nobody on there with a guitar just teaching you the G chord and then a song and then you can go play it at a bonfire somewhere. But Julia Child started the entire culture of look at me and do as I do. And I think that's probably where the whole fascination started because then you go, you started going into like Emerald and and uh, Barefoot Contessa and Rachel Ray and um, the other one, uh, Dean, Paula Dean, who whatever she got hers, but um, but that's the kind of thing. That's that's where like that kind of famous food thing came from. Then it was like, well. What can we do to make this a little bit more exciting? So it's not just somebody in their kitchen taking something out of the oven and chopping up things and talking to you while they're doing it, telling you what, you know, the difference is between a tablespoon and a teaspoon, right? So then we started getting into um, competition, right? There's there's competition, uh, reality cooking shows, there's travel reality cooking shows there's obviously the teaching reality tv shows um anthony bourdain started a whole nother culture of of um traveling around the world to see what food tastes like and looks like and and what a cuisine and like is and it's not just you know it doesn't have to be fancy french laundry type stuff it can be you know a tiny little soup in the middle of Nepal on a on a cliff up you know thirty thousand feet in the mountains and it's like how did these people eat and why is it so damn good they don't have oregano up there you know what are they using in their surroundings and then that transformed into you know Guy Fieri and drive-ins and drive-throughs and uh, which I don't know about you guys but fuck me I can put on that you know, the Food Network or Travel Channel or anything like that. And I could fall asleep watching that. Like, there's just something so soothing about when they do those, um, those like, uh, what do you call it? Those uh, like um, marathons where it's like the world's best donuts. And then they just go around the fucking country and you go to where they make the world's best donuts or the world's best hot dogs. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, you started at one o'clock in the afternoon and then it's eight o'clock at night. And you're like, why the fuck do I want a hot dog right now? And how do I get that hot dog? And then you start putting in your phone and your notes section, all the different places within like a 10 mile radius of your house of where you need to go to get a fucking good hot dog when you didn't even want a hot dog before one o'clock, but now you do. And like, that's the thing with, with Anthony Bourdain and Guy Fieri. And you're never going to hear me put those people in the same category, you know, very often. I'm not going to be like talking about Anthony Bourdain and Guy Fieri in the same breath very often. But like that's what they did. That's the one thing they had in common was that they would like they would not only teach you about food and like good food, but they would teach you about the people that were making the food. And that was just as interesting. 
Like whether it was Anthony Bourdain in Asia, you know, at a, at a little mall uh, restaurant uh, getting ramen, you know, somewhere, which was extremely hot or something. Or it was, you know, Guy Fieri at a fucking truck stop in Ohio eating the best chili hamburger that he's ever had. You know, they incorporated the community. And that was that's that brings in a sense of like not familiarity, but like a sense of like you're traveling, you know, you're learning, you're learning about this stuff and you're learning about the people involved in making this stuff. And that's, you know, they say food is about community and family and stuff. And you start to feel like that. Right. And then you have the other side of the spectrum, which is, uh, I don't know, man, like Anthony Bourdain is fucking obviously one of the most amazing people to ever grace the presence of the earth, you know, as far as like culinary wise. And so is this guy. You have Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. I mean, this guy has taken over cooking reality TV. Have you guys ever watched the the beginning of Gordon Ramsay, like way back in the day? I'm not talking about like the F word and stuff. I think maybe that was after that, but I'm talking like kitchen nightmares. Old, old school kitchen nightmares, like late 90s, early 2000s uh, kitchen nightmares where he would just go to the smallest little restaurants in the smallest towns, in the smallest part of like Wales or Ireland or Scotland or mostly around, you know, the English area, the English countryside. And he would help these little restaurants and these families and these communities just kind of come together and it was so wholesome and he was such a dick but you always knew that he had the best interest for those people in the back of his head the entire time like so when he was calling somebody a fucking dog face bitch or whatever he was saying to somebody and slamming food on the table and and rubbing like throwing out their entire financial plan or like their entire I don't know refrigerator he like had a better idea to make their lives better in mind you know and i think that kind of like need for the need to be better the need to be better is what fueled this whole gordon ramsay empire that he has now with like you know hell's kitchen and master chefs uh master chef junior all these shows that he has now where it's like him yelling at people it's like it's like tough love it's him yelling at people to get better and i I mean i'm 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 all in for it i don't know about you guys but i'm i'm all in for it i love me a good gordon ramsay like yell fest now on master chef He's still Gordon Ramsay, and he's still like talking shit, but he's doing it a lot nicer because he knows these guys are amateurs. I mean, Master Chef is amazing. Most of these people, by the way, that are on Master Chef, they they know what the fuck they're doing. There's a reason why they have to like cook to get in. They know what they're doing, and I like how they make that part of the process that you're seeing them have to learn how to cook to get in. You know. Um, it used to just start with a bunch of amateur chefs. Now it's like you see the audition process. But it gives you that sense of like you want to cheer for these people. They know how to like draw the story out of them and you want to cheer for them. And and then you're like, I can do that. You, there's a relatable energy to them. Um, and then you have like Hell's Kitchen, which is on now, which I love. 
go to watch it tonight when I get off, you know, doing this. But Hell's Kitchen is so fucked up because he's so mean to these people. And it's a competition. But, like, the people that get, that win Hell's Kitchen get to be the executive chef for, like, one of his restaurants. And it's no joke. It's not like he's, like, he says that and then, like, he sends him back to New Jersey or mostly Philadelphia, where most of them are from. I mean understandably so but like he gives them a job and it gives them a salary he doesn't he's not like here's your your prize money now good luck good luck using a hundred thousand dollars to open a restaurant top chef but like he gives them a salary of like i think it's like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year and then he makes an executive chef of one of his restaurants which is amazing i mean one of the girls that won hell's kitchen is now the um she's the executive chef for like all of the Gordon Ramsay group across the entire United States. I mean, think about that. Think about how many restaurants he has. And she's the executive chef for like the entire Gordon Ramsay group. That's amazing. But the shit that he puts these people through is fucking crazy. And here's the other thing about Hell's Kitchen is that he he's smart because he pulls in people to be on this show that are obviously shit. They don't know what they're doing, right? I mean, there's people on there that are on that are chefs for cruise ships, but like not the people that make the menu, like the people that are like the line cooks for cruise ships or like a cafeteria. They work at like the school district, you know, like that kind of stuff. Then he brings in like ringers. So right away, you know that he's got the TV people that he knows he's going to get rid of like 10 of them. And then he has like eight of them that could possibly run his business. So the whole time you're watching these people go at each other, but then they have to deal with each other because they, you know, they stay there the whole time and they're bunking together and they're roommates and, and they're putting them through fucking punishments and shit together. So like, are these people going to be able to stand the other people and make it through the whole show? That's the catch, right? But like, you know, you have your master chef, you have your top chef and you have your great British bake off. Now, if I had to watch only two reality cooking shows for the rest of my life, it would be Top Chef and The Great British Bake Off. Uh, I mean, it, it, I'm just I'm going to be real with you guys right now. If you have not seen The Great British Bake Off or The Great Baking Bake, I don't know what they actually call it over there. I don't think they call it The British Bake Off over there. I think they call it The Great Baking Show, whatever. It is the best show it 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 makes you all warm and fuzzy inside it makes you just want to love everybody the music the music that's involved in it i mean the theme song or the the opening credit song is my ringtone by the way that's how much i love it and everybody's just so supportive even when they suck they're all best friends i mean it's just the most heartwarming show you could possibly ever watch so if you haven't seen it when you're finished listening to this podcast, all 150 of you, go to Netflix and stream all of The Great British Bake Off. I promise you, you'll be happy you did. Then go watch all of Top Chef because that shit is the same thing. It's like the music. It's like it's like the feel, like you're in it and you're cooking and you're with them. And then you only have a certain amount of time and you're running around. And But these people are talented. These people – it's not like Master Chef where you're just like, oh, my God, is he going to know how to devein a, a, a large shrimp? Is he going to know how to peel a lobster tail or 
cut up a chicken? I don't know. Is he going to know how to do that? That's the thing. Would I know how to do that? That's Master Chef. Top Chef is holy shit. How are they going to make this into a Michelin star uh, dish in seven minutes, blindfolded with no utensils using sea urchin? And that's it. It's amazing. It's fucking amazing. I, I mean, I love it. I love it. I wish I could do it. And the thing is, like with, with the Bake Off, people are always like, so are you going to get into baking? No, I'm not going to get into baking. I know they're amateurs, but like those people are fucking good amateurs. And they get to go home every week on the on the Bake Off. They get to go home every week and practice. They get to, they, most Two out of the three things that they have to do on the Bake Off for every episode, they get to go home and practice. The technical challenge, they have to follow a recipe, but they're following a fucking recipe. Right? Nobody asked me if after I watch Top Chef, am I going to go, you know, make a, uh, a tortellini, uh, squid ink, fucking Chantel mushroom dish. No, I'm not going to. I'm going to watch them do it, and I'm going to be proud of the people that fucking do it well. <laughs> That's it. <sighs> now I'm all hungry. I don't know if you guys are hungry, but I'm fucking hungry now. Anyway. I enjoyed this conversation that we had tonight. I know it wasn't as long as most of them are, but how do you guys feel about us just kind of shooting the shit and talking about the different genres of reality TV that's out there? I like it. You know, maybe next week we talk about uh, the soapy people. Maybe we talk about, you know, um, love. Let's talk about love on reality TV. Let's talk about like Married at First Sight and 90 Day Fiance and the dating shows besides, you know, the obvious ones, The Bachelor and all that stuff. But like, let's talk about what it's like to go on TV to find love. How does that sound? I'm down for it if you guys are. Well, it sounds like it's starting to rain out here in L.A., which means that I will get very tired very shortly. So I think that's it. We we'll call it a. Uh, I think that's a sign from the gods to call it a podcast, guys. So remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. We are available on your favorite directories such as iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts, B-L-E-A-V Podcasts. Please rate the show on iTunes and make sure you follow me at at Forever's Evers, F-O-R-E-V-E-R-S-E-V-O-R-S. Guys, it was a pleasure talking to you again. And next week, we talk about love. Until then, remember, reality TV, it's realer than real. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.